0: Yacht Rock Radio, on air and online at yachtrockradio.com.
1: Joining us from the band Firefall, founding member, guitarist, vocalist, Jock Bartley. Jock, how are you? Welcome aboard.
2: Thank you for having me. Uh, nice to be talking to you.
1: Well, I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to speaking with you. Uh, and right off the bat, before we get into the music, uh, your name is one of the greatest radio names It sounds fake. Is that your real name, Jock Bartley?
2: Well, Jock is my middle name. It was my grandfather's name. I'm James Jock Bartley, but ever since I was uh, a, a baby, my mom and my dad called me Jock. So, yeah, I've always been Jock Bartley.
1: I mean that's fantastic. <laughs> it sounds like I should I should have been a radio guy. You should have been a radio DJ hosting uh, afternoons in uh, in Atlanta or something uh, on the air in the air chair with Jock Bartley.
2: Right, I could be Jock the Jock,
1: the one of the best Jocks of all time. Were you an athlete with a name like Jock?
2: I was a basketball player mostly, but you know it's interesting because the only the only two things I ever worked really 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 hard on in my life was my jump shot and playing guitar which i started when i was eight and a half years old and by the time the beatles hit in 1964 i'd already played like five years so it was really cool being able to get a beatles album and and kind of figure out the chords and play along when i was 13 years old
1: when you were 13 were you a better jump shooter or guitarist
2: uh, I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't when I was, well, you know, I was going to say when I was 16 or 18 in my basketball prime, I had a great jump shot. and was the high scorer on our team and stuff. But you know, the truth is I got to be a really, really, really good guitar player, lead guitar player. And I knew even in high school that that's what I was probably going to do. And being a short guy at five foot 10, you know, I knew that I wouldn't have much of a college basketball career, even though I had a nice jump shot.
1: So it was in high school when you—I'm guessing what grade? When you were like, "All right, I'm gonna—I'm gonna go all in with music and guitar, and put the basketball down."
2: I didn't put the basketball down until uh, I went to college when I was uh, um, the year after high school. But um, I started. I was in my first band when I was a freshman in high school at 14 years old, and that was uh, pretty much 1964 and you know the british invasion and the beatles and the stones and all the all the great bands of the 60s and the music of the 60s and i had been i had a really famous jazz guitar player named johnny smith and he was i didn't know it at the time but he was grooming me to be the next little jazz prodigy and after the beatles came out you know, God bless him. He, you know, I just, you know, all the jazz stuff I was learning wasn't, it was bouncing off my brain and I'm going, I want to be in a rock band.
1: (laughs) Well, there's, there's a difference between uh, me and you because I too played high school basketball. I also wanted to be in a rock band. Uh, However, I had zero musical talent or ability. So God bless you for uh, getting into music (laughs) and, and being good at it, and providing uh, songs with that have just had such meaning, and to so many listeners. We'll talk about those radio hits from the late '70s in a minute. Uh, we have you on the show to talk about new music. Firefall—it's been around for decades, and you're still making music. A new album coming out December 11th called uh, Comet. And the yep. first hit from the album is called Way Back When and that comes out here in a few days uh this November. Uh tell me what it's like to be in a band that this is this well-known with this much uh history that's still playing this many years later with so many founding members still in the band.
2: Well, I know how fortunate I am to have Mark Andes the bass player who early on was in Spirit and Jojo Gun out in LA and Joined Firefall in Colorado, and then later, uh, you know, was in Heart for ten years, and has played with Joe Walsh and Stevie Nicks and Dan Fogelberg. And Mark is a rock star, bar none, and one of the best bass players around. He's great. And uh, David Muse, our saxophone, flute, keyboard player, was the original guy who came up all the, with all those great sax and flute parts on the early records. And it's just fantastic having three out of the five of us being original because we all know that there's a number of quote "classic rock bands out there who don't even have one original member. so I know how lucky I am with that. Yeah, we're getting old, you know, and it's uh it's it's amazing, but I'll tell you what, having so many fans out in the in the world and in the United States. When we go on the road, which, of course, hasn't been happening much this year, when we go out on the road, I love seeing not only people our age in their 60s and approaching 70 in their 50s singing along, but a lot of times there'll be 20- and 30-year-old sons and daughters of Firefall fans who know all our songs and come out to the shows, too. So we have a couple of generations of fans, and frankly, I have to just say, The reason that is is because the songs were so great written by Rick Roberts and Larry Burnett back in the old days and additionally the synergy between the the six of us in the band we just sounded really unique and nobody else really sounded like Firefall and we had all those great songs that Rick and Larry were presenting us to make records with and it was uh, fantastic
1: you mentioned uh, the generations of people in the audience, when did it first hit you that the the younger crowd was uh, was into your stuff? Was that maybe twenty years ago, or is that a more recent phenomenon?
2: Yeah, no, no, it was it was fifteen or twenty years ago. And what would blow me away is we'd be up there playing, just remember, I love you, or Strange Way, or Mexico, or Cinderella, and I'd look out into the crowd, and here were some twenty-five or thirty-year-old. Uh, people out there singing along with all of our songs and I'm going they weren't even born with these <laughs> songs <were his." laughs> uh, but you know uh, parents you know parents uh, had a tendency uh, back particularly back in those days to play a lot of their favorite music and I I have to say that coming out in the 70s was perfect timing for firefall and to be in the fraternity that included, Dan Fogelberg and the Eagles and Little River Band and, you know, all those great bands with wonderful songs in the 70s. Um, what a great time to be in a band and, you know, how lucky for me to have all those great songs. And I mean, we put our first album out in 1976 and it became the, the, uh, the quickest album on Atlantic Records to ever go gold. You know, went gold in about a month and a half, just because of you are the woman in Mexico and Cinderella, and it was just a really unique sounding album. But that always blew me away because on Atlantic Records was the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and Aretha Franklin and the Young Rascals and stuff, and to to have a Firefall be an album be the 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 quintessential today. You know, and their history was just amazing.
1: Now, that's worth saying again. So on Atlantic Records that had the Rolling Stones and Aretha Franklin, Firefall was the fastest band to have an album go gold with their entire yep. library. I mean, that, that is amazing. Those are great bragging rights.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, it's amazing. and I certainly don't brag about it or hardly ever tell anybody about
1: that. But I'd have that on my business card if I was you.
2: <laughs> That's the gold record on Atlantic Records. But you know, I and uh, you know, I, I still question that because, you know, Led Zeppelin, you know, come on. I know their first album nobody heard of them, but like their second album they had you know, a whole lot of love or something on there, you know, that happened to go gold real quick quick. But Firefall was really blessed. And you know, uh one of the one of the uh, great things, Captain Adam, was that suddenly we were on the road behind our first album, and we were playing with the Doobie Brothers, and we played the band uh, with Yvonne Helm and Robbie Robertson and uh, and all the all those guys. We did their last tour right before they went out and made the last Waltz movie. Um, and then we went to Fleetwood Mac for about a month and a half in 1976 behind their white album, so that they really liked us as an opening act because we had good songs and could kick ass in you know 35 minute set. And uh, when rumors came around the next year, we were one of their prime opening acts for the Rumors tour, which was playing in front of 50 to 100 thousand people a night.
1: Now I read that uh, you got your record deal. Uh, it seemed fairly quick, at least the way I read it. And you're telling me that you uh, had your first album go gold in a month so i'm sort of sensing or, here
2: or, or, i don't know exactly how quick it did but it what they say it was the quickest ever on okay record. maybe it not a month two months or a month and a half but it was really fast
1: i gotcha so i'm sensing that um the, the initial launch of firefall was a whirlwind and you got big fast so is are we talking a, a six-month period where one day you are an you're living in a, in a car, eating leftover fast food, and six months later, you're playing 100,000 people and eating filet mignon.
2: <laughs> well, I've never lived in a car, so I, I don't know <laughs> if I can answer that one. But you know, um, it was pretty amazing because I'll tell you a quick little story. I was, I've had a couple of really fortunate being at the right place and right time um, episodes in my musical life. And I totally fell into um, this band, Graham Parsons, Amy Lou Harrison, the Fallen Angels, in 1973. And I was, before I went and auditioned with them, they needed a guitar player. Their guitar player pretty much sucked. And in Boulder, Colorado, they put out the word, we need a guitar player. I went and auditioned and got hired and left for the road the next morning. And... You know, two days before I met Graham Parsons and Emmylou Harris, I was painting apartments in order to pay my rent (laughs) in my apartment building. And three days after, on the second gig that we ever played with Graham and Emmylou, Linda Ronstadt and Neil Young walks out and sits in with us. And I can distinctly remember being on stage going, man, four days ago I was painting apartments, and now I'm on stage with Linda Ronstadt and... uh, Neil Young, and the interesting sidelight to that story is that that was the first time that Linda Ronstadt and Emmy Lou ever met or sang together, and of course their voices were so different, but the blend that the two of those had, I was there for that, and it was unbelievable.
1: That is awesome. Did you ever paint another apartment again after that day?
2: Oh, my own apartment. (laughs) Me being a painter, I'm 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 a fine artist, too, and I'm one of the few people I know that actually like painting a living room or a bathroom, you know, because I'm I'm a painter. But uh, no, to 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 pay for my rent, I never did have to.
1: Well, that's that's an incredible story. I love that one. Uh, we're speaking with Jock Bartley, founding member, uh, guitarist, vocals for Firefall, a new album. Comet comes out in December, just in time for the holidays, too. And you mentioned uh, Mark Andes, your uh, your extraordinary bass player that used to play with Spirits. Uh, on the new album, uh, you cover a, a Spirit song with uh, Timothy B. Schmidt from the Eagles and John McPhee from the Doobie Brothers singing backup on that song on the new album. What was that like recording?
2: Unbelievable. And actually... Uh, Mark asked Timothy if he wanted to sing the second verse on Nature's Way. And Timothy said, sure. So um, Mark, who has never visualized himself as a lead vocalist, every band he's ever been in, you know, had a lead vocalist. and Mark was kind of a background singer. He's a really good singer. And Firefall started playing a couple of spirit songs, Nature's Way and also I Got a Line on You, which is one of my favorites. Uh, spirit songs and uh, we you know we said we should record Nature's Way you know I mean it's a great Randy California song it came out in 1970 and it was like a late 60s 1970 anthem song for me you know for, for taking care of the environment and um, and Mark lives in Houston Texas and after one of our tours he flew home and found out that Timothy B. Schmidt, um, the, the Timothy's solo band, was playing a little club in, in Houston area, and Mark went down there and got to hang with Timothy B. Schmidt, and also John McPhee from the Doobies was in Timothy's band and hung with their old friends. And Mark said, "You know, Firefall's Cutting Nature's Way. Would you do us the honor of singing on it?" And he said, "Oh, that's my favorite." spirit song i would love to so it's amazing how connections like that get made uh when you're on a certain level and it was just an honor to have timothy b schmidt who's one of the best vocalists in rock and roll history and john McVie from the doobie brothers our old friend from you know back in the 70s trout uh you know touring a lot with the doobies you know to have people like that be able to play on your record is just amazing
1: that is uh, it is amazing. And uh, I guess we should pause and mention the the Doobie Brothers uh, are now Rock and Roll Hall of Famers.
2: Oh, great. I look forward to seeing it. those. Those guys are great. And um, when Firefall used to tour so much with the Doobie Brothers back in 76, 77, 78, um, it was the Michael McDonald, Skunk Baxter Doobie Brothers. And uh, I didn't get to know uh, Tommy Johnson. Um, until, you know, many years later. And I'm really glad that they included Michael McDonald in the uh, Hall of Fame celebration because certainly Michael had a a number of big hits with the Doobies.
1: Well, you know, Michael McDonald is is what we call the godfather of yacht rock. And, And it's amazing how every song the Doobies did with Michael McDonald is a yacht rock slam. And all yeah. the songs that Michael McDonald is not a part of, those are considered classic rock or classic hits. So it's huh. funny on Yacht Rock radio when people want to hear China Grove, you know that we don't play China Grove. Uh, it's right. not Michael's voice. Uh, but what a fool believes? <laughs> look out when those bouncy keyboards come oh in. Oh my God, uh, that's a great segue to talk about. Yacht rock. I'm sure you're aware of the term. You've been on some yacht rock uh, concerts or festivals. Uh, When was the first time you heard the term yacht rock?
2: Oh, man, probably about four or five years ago. And I I didn't really understand it because I thought, you know, I understood the music and, you know, the music is what I grew up with and, you know, had a very small role in the years that a lot of those songs that you play now, you know, were being made by people like the Doobie Brothers and other artists that you play now. But uh, I never really quite understood the yacht part part of it. But, boy, what a genre. I mean, we all grew up with that. It's great.
1: It really is great. And from a a radio perspective, any time you can take songs that are 40 years old and represent them in a different way to make them sound like they're new songs uh that's the the, i think that's the beauty and the magic of yacht rock and yacht rock radio because you can hear these songs you've heard these songs for decades but you're hearing them all at once now uh back to back to back with the imagery of palm trees and um yachts and boat the boating lifestyle in a beach or a yacht club or a swimming pool and it's just so relaxing and it's just uh it's a cool vibe that everybody wants to be a part of who doesn't want to be on a yacht with Jock Bartley.
2: Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> hey, we forgot to miss girls in bikinis. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to be around girls in bikinis on a yacht?
1: On a yacht. Absolutely. <laughs> and you've been there with the uh the cruise ship stuff you've done. You've played those 70s uh right. cruise festivals. Tell us a couple stories about being on a cruise ship yacht rock festival.
2: Well, it's so amazing and I think Firefall's done 3 that it, the cool thing about it is the people that buy the tickets and fill up the, the, the cruise ship, you know, are a huge fans. Um, there's like 15 bands. I didn't know the way the cruise ships worked at the time until we did our first one. We got on the boat in, uh, Fort Lauderdale with about 10 other bands, really big bands, America and little river band. And, Uh, you know, and uh, Pablo Cruz and all these great bands that we were all friends with and had come for for decades. And then you sail to Cozumel or to Cancun and then you and your band get off and 10 more bands get on in Mexico and people listen to 10 other bands on the way home so that the tickets they buy, they can hear 18 or 20 bands play that they grew up with and it's just really cool because, You'll walk through, you'll walk down the ship or whatever, and people will come up and say, can I have an autograph? Or, man, I saw you guys in 1977 or in Firefall case. You know, my wife and I got married to you are the woman. And, you know, it's just really great to be able to be that close and to hang and, you know, be out in the sun with your fans.
1: The, the picture you just painted, you're on a cruise ship with your fans, and you are accessible. I mean, you could be going for a roll, a dinner roll at the buffet, and some guy next right. to you has a Firefall concert t-shirt on, and he's freaking out because right. he's standing right next to you reaching for the same roll. And and that's that seems to me like it'd be acceptable on the cruise ship, but in the real world, if you were at a freaking steakhouse <laughs> right just down the street and you're you're at the salad bar and some guy walks up next to you with a firefall t-shirt on and freaks out you'd be looking for security well not really <laughs> but uh, you know um he didn't he didn't buy a two thousand dollar ticket to see you
2: <laughs> right well no but you know um in a lot of places you know like in aspen colorado or nashville you know you going to some breakfast place and oh my god there's vince gill and amy grant or oh my god that's garth brooks you know and fans and people generally are very respectful and they might you know at the end say hi can i take a picture or whatever um but on the cruise everybody's encouraged to uh to mingle and they tell the bands going in you know go make yourself available and it's really, it's really great because, you know, they have like four or five venues, for one or two outdoors on deck, and then they have a cabaret room, and then some of these cruise ships have a, like a 3,500 seat uh, auditorium where the headliner, you know, Peter Frampton or America will play. And it's really, it's really great. And I hope we do another one when everything gets a bit more nice, back to normal.
1: Well, I can't think of anything better than uh, getting paid to do your job in the Caribbean uh, with a beach and the girls in the bikinis. Uh, and if I have anything to say about it, uh, you will absolutely be doing uh, another one. Uh, one of our goals has been to uh, either do a, a smaller scale, like on an actual yacht with a smaller group of people, do a, do a radio contest where we get 20 winners to go see... Just three bands maybe two or three bands of firefall and ambrosia right. um maybe maybe an acoustic set from steve lukather and toto um oh boy. And, and have it be a real uh sort of that backstage pass uh, experience that you can't buy anywhere but you get to hang out with right. uh with you guys on a yacht as we uh, maybe go to nassau or the bahamas or something that will happen i, I don't know when it'll happen but I will be in touch with your management to make sure it happens at some point, someday.
2: Well, when we book our next one, we'll get a hold of you and say, "Come on out and be part of the entourage." Um, it's it's really great because um, not only if you've been around as long as Firefall has, and you know, and, and all the bands that are, that are the headliners there that you you know you've gone, oh my God, we get to see those guys too. You know, Atlanta rhythm section, or, or Pop Cruz, or, or you mentioned Ambrosia. You know, they had such great songs. We play with those guys all the time. Um, it's just really great because not only are you meeting a lot of people, and um, you know, and being accessible to your fans, you're getting to hang with guys that you've known for thirty years that you hardly ever see. And uh, anyway, cruises are, are are a very cool deal. And Firefall certainly hopes to do a few more.
1: I didn't even think about that, Uh, sort of a class reunion aspect to it with you and and these musicians that you haven't seen in decades. You get to hang out for three, four days in the Caribbean and uh, yeah, it's like a reunion for you.
2: Yeah. Well, that's like when when we run into the Doobie brothers, Uh, I went to a Doobie brothers concert like two years ago in Miami. We were down there playing the night before and they, and we stayed an extra day and we went to the Doobie brothers and, You know, I I mean, I knew Pat Simmons, you know, um, and Michael McDonald when I was 22 years old. And we were, you know, touring with the Doobie Brothers. And, you know, it's really nice to, you know, to acknowledge your, you know, fraternity as uh, lucky guys that were in a band that could tour nationwide. Because, you know, there's, as you know, hundreds of thousands of wannabe band members or guitar players who would just, give their eye teeth to be able to have a hit record and be able to go around the country and tour. And I know how lucky I am. And, you know, and it just goes back to the, the, firefall songs are really so great. And, you know, I'm so well written and, uh, you know, and the two writers we had in the early days, Rick Roberts, who wrote most of the commercial hits and wrote, you are the woman and just remember, I love you. And was, Thinking in his head while he was writing those songs, I want to get girls to call radio stations to you know to request my song, you know. And, and it, this was a whole kind of process to have successful songs. Whereas Larry Burnett, the guy who wrote Cinderella, his was like his process was more like a perching of his soul. It would be like ah, oh, there's the song. And to have two different type of writers in the same band writing tunes that people like Mark Andes and myself and drummer Michael Clark could play on were, was amazing. And it was the first day of rehearsal that we had when Rick and Larry got in, it was Mark and I and a different bass a drummer, Michael hadn't joined yet. We had 25 or 30 original songs from those guys to work out, you know, and that's
0: unheard of. You know, we're
2: starting a band. You're trying to figure out. Well, maybe we should write a song or two. Or what are we going to sound like? And we already had songs, and we already had lead singers who were just fantastic. So Firefall was really blessed from our uh, from our first year.
1: Hot right out of the gate, and uh, yeah. which brings us to the classics. Uh, just remember, I love you, and you are the woman. Um, Strange Way, got to throw that in. That's probably my favorite. Uh, It was 1978, Strange Way. I was eight years old, and for me, this is just so nostalgic because these were the songs that were on the radio when I was a kid growing up in the late 70s, and I actually have memories of doing my homework to the song Strange Way to the point where when I hear Strange Way, when I hear those opening notes, even today... I get this feeling in the back of my head like I'm doing my homework wrong <laughs> <laughs> or I'm forgetting an assignment. I mean, it was third grade. Wow. It wasn't like well, the, I wasn't in like trig or calculus or anything, but still there's a little bit of right. stress in getting your homework done. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have my homework right. done yet. Every time I hear this song, Strange Way, I think I forgot to do my homework.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as everybody really knows, and particularly radio people also, along with musicians who create the music, you know, songs and music is the universal language. Everyone understands it, whether they speak a different language or not. It is an emotional thing, and it's a bonding deal. Songs bond, you know, entire populations together. And if you're in a band that has good songwriters,
0: and... Um,
2: and you're lucky enough to get on the radio. Um, you know, it's it's just such a joy to have fans come up at your meet and greets after your shows or whenever, stop you in the airport or something and tell you, you know, uh, you know, I had a really serious illness and your song blank got me through it, or else you know, my wife and I were married to just remember I love you, or you know, it's it's so cool to hear people's stories that include your music.
1: I can only imagine. I mean, I I am very envious and jealous of uh, of anybody with those kind of stories. Uh, That has to be so cool for people to come up and tell you how much you meant to a certain part of their life. Um, The highest charting song, the top 10 hit, You Are the Woman, uh, from 1976. Uh, I got to ask you about um, a, a part of that song And I'd say I've heard this song maybe a thousand times, maybe more. And I never noticed.
2: I probably played it like 10,000 times.
1: 10,000 times. Um, My girlfriend said to me one time we were listening to it on the show, and she's like, do you hear that in the background? And there's a certain part of the chorus where you can hear faintly in the distance a female going, oh. Is that the right song I'm thinking of? Well, there's not a female on the record. Is that a, a musical instrument?
2: No. Well, I don't know what part you're talking about, but maybe it's a flute a flute melody that sounds like that, but I don't really know what you're talking about.
1: Necessarily. <laughs> I can't wait to tell her that <laughs> you said, I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you, if you said, hey, it's at the end of the second verse or whatever, I could listen and go, oh yeah, that's David on the
1: flute. Or You know, know, um, now that you say it, I I think it might, it might be a, some sort of flute action going on in the song and it just sounds like, I, now that I, you know, the way she brought it up to me, to my ear, it's, you know, you are the woman that I've always dreamed of, it's a love song and it, it it sort of mimics like the woman you're talking to is like really touched and sighing, like saying, "Oh, Yeah,
2: well that's, that's really cool. I'll have to listen to it again and, if I hear something that sounds like a, a gal sighing, you know, <laughs> I do know, and Rick Roberts was this that was the most successful uh, song that he wrote, thinking, I want to get girls to call radio stations and request my song. I mean, that song has like over seven million airplays in the United States alone right now.
1: Who would have thought? Who would have? Who would have thought? Women wanting to get the attention of a woman and rock and roll would go together. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I want to s- just rewind just a hair. You said you've probably played that song ten thousand times. I got to yep. ask you what's what's that like? I mean, I, part of me would think that you're sick of it. You're bored to death. You're like, oh, this song again. I mean, after the. 11,000th time are you going to mash your guitar through a through a window I mean how <laughs> many is it going to take before you go crazy playing that song
2: well honestly there was a time in the 80s when Rick Roberts was still in the band where he said I don't want to play you are the woman anymore and I remember saying that's what some of these people are buying tickets to hear and he said no no we got so many other good songs and everything." so there was a year or two in the early 80s when we didn't play you are the woman in the set which was a huge mistake but for me uh, i'm a guitar player number one it's a good thing that the solo i played in the studio that is the solo that everybody has heard millions of times it's a good thing that that's a good guitar solo because i have to play that same one every night And I like it, and it's good. And I know that I did good back then in 1975 when we made the record. But you know, heaven forbid that it wasn't one of my better solos, and I had to play it all the time. Um, the other thing I will say is that I have had a career with Firefall for 40 plus years because of that song. And when I played the song in the middle of the set, and it starts out and the flute lick da comes out and the crowd recognizes int- instantly what song that was that it is. I just know how lucky I am to have in our repertoire a song that's that big. So I, I'm I'm thankful, and you know I, you know for 20 years I have been excited about playing you are you are the woman because. That's what people want to hear, and uh, that's you know a lot of them are buying tickets to hear that song, along with a lot of our other ones too.
1: Those few years where you said that you did not play that song, what were some of the critiques, uh, both both firsthand, like people coming up to you after the show screaming and complaining, or even in the paper or in the press?
2: Um, I don't remember. And back in those days, nobody did a meet and greet; that was kind of unheard of. You know, whereas in the, and it started with a lot of the country, country stars, you know, in the late eighties or something, they, they just knew that they would, if they went out to the merch table 10 minutes after the show, that they'd sell 10 times more CDs and t-shirts than if they didn't go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the, the great byproduct of that was that you got to actually shake hands with your fans and hear their quick story and, you know, and say, thank you so much, because uh, without fans, people buying tickets or, you know, what, uh, you know, there aren't, there aren't any hit records and there's, there's not any bands, you know, and I know that I'm so fortunate and lucky to, uh, to be in a band that has that many great songs um, that people just grew up with and now totally relate to it. You know, that's what, you know, Yacht Rock's all about, like you said. You know, here's are taking songs from 25 or 30 or 40 years ago and putting them together and playing them in a new format, back-to-back with other songs and artists of that day. And people love it because it's all great music.
1: We're speaking with Jock Bartley from Firefall. And uh, one of the fun questions I like to ask uh, bands that have huge hits with the songs uh, You Are the Woman... Just Remember I Love You and Strange Way.
2: Yep, our big three.
1: Those are the big three. And I'm telling you, I mean, people know how hard it is to get a hit uh, with all the one-hit wonders in the world, to have three three hits that strong. And you have another three hits that were in the top 40 uh, that just weren't close to the top 10 the way those three monsters were. Um, Right. With a cover band and or a karaoke bar, whether it was in the last year or in the last 35 years give me an experience where you walked into a bar a hotel bar a nightclub, a karaoke bar and somebody was on stage singing one of those hits
2: um i don't go into karaoke places so i have viewer experience there um i do appreciate people who aren't musical or who'd love to be a singer that that's their way that they can Kind of feel like it, what it is to sing their favorite song on stage, but I'm fortunate that I don't know how to do, do, you know, that I don't have to do that. Um, Yeah, occasionally you know you'll hear a a a band cover a song of yours. I will tell you a story though, but back in nineteen oh I don't know seventy seven or something seventy eight. I visited my mom and my two younger brothers who had moved from Colorado to to Alabama, the backwards of Alabama, and my brother was on the basketball team, the B-Squad basketball team. So I went there, and I went to the gym to um, to see my brother play. And evidently, he or somebody had told him, hey, there's gonna be a fire, guy from Firefall here. So everybody's looking around the gym to see who might be the Firefall guy, I'm sinking in my chair, you know, kind of going, uh-oh. And at halftime, the marching band came out and did a version of You Are The Woman that had David's flute that starts the song. It was done by the Tubins. So it was uh-oh. like, ba-ba-bum, bum 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 bum, bum, bum. Yeah, it, was, it was hilarious. <laughs> that is great. Oh, I love that
1: yeah. story. I got to tell you, Jock, I've asked uh, hundreds of bands that question. The answer has never been in the form of a, of a high school marching band.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Rick Roberts when Rick told us on one tour or one gig or sometime, I don't even remember exactly when, he said, uh, my publisher just got a request from the U.S. Naval Academy to work out a marching band version of You Are the Woman. And I told him yes. This was Ricky Rick saying yes. And so we we never heard about it. We never heard everything until I went to that basketball game. And, you know, that high school Alabama uh, uh, orchestra, the the band, uh, actually played the naval version of Zola the Woman, which was hilarious.
1: Were you singing along the words in your head?
2: <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. Probably. I was more... I was more, you know, conscious about sinking down in the bleachers <laughs> so nobody, nobody could see me because <laughs> everybody was looking around. I do remember that. Hey, I got one story that I'll tell you that is one of the highlights of my musical career. So you know the Firefall song, Mexico, right? Yeah. So Mexico, I knew that, I mean, for the year and a half that Firefall played and developed our sound, before we got our record deal, I mean, every night that song as a lead guitar player, I was just burning on. And I knew when it, when we got the record deal and it came time to record Mexico, that that was probably going to be my moment to really shine as a lead guitar player. Now, we recorded our first couple of albums, but the first album down in Miami at Criteria Studios and down the hall was the BGs, and hey, there's Steven Stills, and we were an unknown band named uh, named Firefall that was recording our first album. When it came time to do the solo on you are the, uh, on on Mexico, sorry, um, it had been the day before where those mariachi horns came in da 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 in the middle of my solo, which was a brand new thing for me to contend with as a soloist. Anyway, I'm warming up out out in the studio. Um, In the control room, people are coming in and out of the control room. It's dark in there. The producer pushes the button and says, you ready to go? And I said, yeah. My amp was sounding great, and and I warmed up, and I was ready to go. And he, he pushed the record button, and I started playing, and it was going good, first verse. Yeah, I'm playing lips off the lead vocalist. You know, second verse, yeah, sounding great. And then it came time for my solo. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, I don't know where those horns are. They're going to play here soon. I better just keep playing until I hear them. So I'm playing my solo. And then the horns play and I stop. And then I play a little bit. and Then the horns play. And then I stop. And then the, and, the, and I finish my solo. And then finish the song. And it ended up being a one-take solo. And the, produce, the producer, Jim Mason, pushed the button and said, God, that was great. Come on in. And I said, Jim, I had no idea where the horns were going to play. So you can keep what I did, but let me have another pass at that solo. Let me try again. And he said, no. And I said, Jim, come on. I know I can beat that on the solo, and I can play better with the horns. That was the first time I'd ever played with them. And he said, no, come in. So I kind of take my guitar off. I storm in the control room. To um, to give him a piece of my mind and tell me to let <laughs> tell him to let me do part of the song again, and the first person I see in the control room is my hero Eric Clapton, who's been watching me play that song one take. Oh, and and I just you know because Eric Clapton we recorded 461 Ocean Boulevard down there at Criteria in Miami, and was he was a regular at, at, at Criteria, but he was my hero and. You know, and my whole focus changed from that Fresh Cream album and hearing Eric Clapton play that ballsy guitar. Oh, he was, you know, he was hundreds of thousands of guitar players, heroes. And here he was in the studio watching me play Mexico. And I kind of just turned into Jackie Gleason, humming, 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 you know. And he stood (laughs) up and said, keen playing, man. Keen playing and walked out. And that's the only time I ever met my hero but it was a good thing I didn't know he was there because I wouldn't have been able to play or even hold my pick, you know. So that's my Eric Clapton, Mexico story.
1: That is uh, that's amazing that you didn't know he was there and that you got to meet your hero and that you nailed it. So his his only impression of you is that you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, you know I didn't I didn't mess up once and you know and you know, you're in the studio and you're trying to play a solo you know, that has never you know, it's gonna be on that record forever. You know, and it better be pretty good. And, you know, same thing with You Are the Woman, the solo and You Are the Woman. I didn't really know what I was gonna play when I got out there and to play that. And, you know, it took me a couple of times to kinda of figure out what it was, but then boom, there it was and it was it was a perfect solo for that song. Um, as a lead guitar player you kinda of never do know, but yeah, to me to have to have your hero, Eric Clapton, watching you play real good. I mean, how often does that happen? Like, never.
1: Well, from hearing that story, I'm an armchair uh, psychologist. I will tell you that Eric Clapton hates you because you're so good at guitar. He left. You never saw him again because he saw you as a threat. (laughs) No. (laughs) That is a great story.
2: Yeah, and, you know, to be in a situation to have – Stuff like that happen, or be in the room when Emily Harris and Linda Ronstan meet and sing together for the first time, or stuff like that. There's, I just look through, back through my career, and uh, I'm just humbled and thankful, and go, "Wow, all that stuff happened." I'll tell you one more really quickly. So, um, I wrote a song for suicide prevention back in the late '90s. I was asked to write a song to uh, kind of raise a little money for uh, a suicide hotline that was going out of business. So I wrote this song, and they put it on an album and made a little money and stayed in business. And then I thought, well, what do I do with this song? And uh, I knew so many people that I went to Nashville, and I did a couple of suicide prevention benefits. And Michael McDonald was my headliner both times down in in Nashville. And uh, David Pack from Ambrosia was there twice. Myona Judd was on the second one, but anyway, we're playing at the Bluebird in Nashville. You know, a little 112 seat little club, and uh, I have Rusty Young from Poco and David Pack from Ambrosia, and headliner Michael McDonald going to play some songs. So we're up there on playing, and it's halftime. We take a break, and Michael comes up to me and says, "Uh, "Jock, Steve Winwood's in the audience. Would you mind if he got up?" sang a song or two and
0: I went,
2: would I mind? <laughs> so anyway, Steve Winwood gets up, plays my acoustic guitar, and we do, um, I can't find my way home by blind faith with Michael McDonald and David Pack in my backup man and me playing that song and the crowd's freaking out and, you know, we finish Can't Find My Way Home and he takes the guitar off and is gonna go off the stage and Michael grabs his arm and says, No, no, you have to play Gimme Some Lovin' you know, which is one of the best rock and roll songs ever. Give Me Some Lovin' by Spencer Davis, you know, R.I.P. Spencer Davis, who just yeah. died recently. Yeah. And uh, so on that song, um, and, and, and Steve Winwood sits down on Michael's Rhodes' piano and says, uh, I need an organ sound for Give me some lovin'. Okay, here you go. So I got to play Give Me Some Lovin', one of my absolute favorite rock and roll songs, standing three feet away from Steve Winwood singing it and sharing a mic with Michael McDonald, you know, singing Give Me Some Lovin' background parts with David Pack on stage playing and singing too. And those are three of the best rock singers ever, you know, and Steve Winwood. I mean, I, you know, I could have died and gone to heaven that night because I got to play with Michael McDonald and Steve Winwood.
1: And that was in the 90s? Uh, yeah,
2: it was 98, I think. That's unbelievable. But that one was in 98. I did another one in 99, and then uh, did one in 2000 in, uh, in San Francisco with Journey was the headliner.
1: That would be uh, one of the best Yacht Rock radio lineups ever, having Michael McDonald and David Pack and, uh, and you and Firefall on the same stage, singing the same song. I mean, you were way ahead of yeah. your time. You saw this Yacht Rock thing coming before anybody. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, the the cool thing is, is that I played a and Firefall played a small role in that fantastic music of the seventies, and we we had enough hits and had a big enough hit with "You Are the Woman" to to open shows for the Doobie Brothers and the band and Fleetwood Mac, and then the Rumours tour, and you know, Pablo Cruise and and uh, you know, and uh, there were so many amazing shows we played like. The Allman Brothers, Jeff Beck and Fireball, or, you know, Freewood Mac, Bob Seeger and Firefall, And, you know, just amazing how fortunate, you know, things, you know, things happened back then. And it's all, uh, again, back to the songs. If you don't have the song or the singer to sing them, you know, it doesn't matter how great your guitar player or your drummer is. It's like you don't got a lot. You need a good song
1: jock we do uh, a public affairs uh, radio show as well I, I, I want to ask you about that uh, suicide prevention work you did are you still involved with that
2: a little bit um truth was is after I started doing shows with some big name people headlining and I knew that we weren't going to make very very much money toward the cause but it was more about raising awareness yeah you know, and I and I was very fortunate to um, be part of the the push to get a national 800 suicide hotline back when David Satcher was uh, attorney general. Oh, yeah, was it attorney general? or Anyway, um, it, I think it was during the Carter administration. But, um, you know, I do do some stuff when asked, but it was really funny because once it turned into a business, And hey, this guy, Jock Bartley, with his song, you know, had Journey just play. We should, you know. And I had two almost competing, um, you know, from Washington, D.C., bureaucratic, you know, uh, suicide deals who were kind of fighting over the money that might be made because they would need to do another convention or they wanted to do this or do that. And I'm going. No, if if I'm involved, I want to determine where the money goes. And for instance, when we were in Nashville, I wanted it to stay in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to go, you know, to you know, just into the bank account in Washington DC to be paid out for whatever because we all know how you know, how suicide is such a serious not talked about um, problem for a lot of young people. And back in those days in the late nineties and early two thousands um, you know, suicide was like the sec- second or third leading cause of death between the ages of, uh, you know, 16 and 25. And you're going, man. So anyway, yeah, I'm a sucker for a good cause. I've done domestic violence, stuff, flood relief, and, you know, I-, I do like to try to turn it- turn things around and be able to turn people on in a positive manner through a song to some, some of the, the bad stuff going on in society or in the environment or whatever.
1: It's great to hear. It's, uh, it's inspiring f- for me and our listeners to know uh, that you get involved and want to make, uh, make things better. Uh, if we could all get involved and make something a little bit better, uh, certainly this planet would be a, a better place we've been speaking with jock bartley from firefall it's just been an absolute pleasure catching up with you I- i'd like to uh um even plant the seed to continue some sort of suicide awareness suicide prevention awareness uh show or event in nashville once the pandemic uh flattens out or goes away uh, i don't know if you know hey, it could this could
2: be in indianapolis it's ha- it happens everywhere it could be it could be just about anywhere and you know what after after the show's over uh, if you'll give me your um, your email address i'll send you the song call on me that was the song that i wrote being asked by the suicide prevention people to write a song that had a, a, a positive message to it and the song that came out you know if you're right-brained enough as a writer sometimes You can just kind of channel almost like somebody else writing your lyrics for you, you know. And suicide is one of the most devastating and negative things that we've got going. And yet my song is really a positive, you know, thing talking to those people. And the name Call on Me of the song, uh, the singer of that song is the person who's manning the hotline telephone talking to a kid in crisis and talking him down. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool. So I'll send you the song, Adam.
1: Yeah, send me the song, and, and I'll play it on, uh, on the Public Affairs Show.
2: That sounds great. Cool. Hey, the, the one last thing I'll say before we quit, I know you're winding it down. Um, you mentioned our new single, Way Back When. Real quickly about that song, um, when I started writing the chorus on that, because I really wanted to write it in the vein of the birds or an early Beatles song or whatever, but the first verse and chorus are set in 1965. The second verse and chorus is 67. And the third verse and chorus is in 1969. And it's about his girl, about the guy and his girlfriend who were listening to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the birds. And in the second verse, it's, Aretha Franklin and the Young Rascals. And in the third verse, it's Let It Be and Led Zeppelin. And it's kind of uh, looking back longingly at how great the music of the late 60s was. Back in those days, it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, to have gone through that as a young teenager, you know, just, you know, it totally affected my future life and my future musical career. All that great music, and it's kind of a homage to the um, to the music of the '60s. And my son Jamie, who's quite a photographer, graphic designer, artist, he's a great drummer too. Um, I he made the video, and I told him, "Here's what I want for the verses." And you know, I want pictures of you know the Stones or Aretha Franklin or Marvin Gaye or you know uh, Creedence Clearwater you know, all this kind of stuff, and, and I want it to be a pictorial kind of a documentary of the music that inspired this song. So anyway, Way Back When is uh, near and dear to my heart, because it's like me looking back at how great the music was in the late 60s, and of course, the 70s, not in that song, but I, you know, I'm humbled to have been a small player in the, uh, in the music of the 70s, because when you think about you know the Eagles and the Little River Band and Fleetwood Mac and ah oh, just all those Doobie Brothers, all those great bands. You know we got to tour with them all and got to know them pretty well.
1: So then I have to ask you when your book comes out, and if <laughs> and if you don't have plans to write one, I'm telling you, you've got enough stories and you're part of music history. I need to I need to read a book from Jock Bartley.
2: Well, thanks for saying so, but the truth is, is there are. So, so, so many books by rock and roll guys that want to tell their story, and some of them are just great. Keith Richards' book and Don uh, Don Felder's book, and you know, and then there's some that you know just don't hold together for me. So, you know, I I've, I've written a book and I'm an artist and I do a lot of stuff, but it seems pretty egotistical to think, okay, hey, let's tell my story. When I got to meet Paul Simon, you know, backstage, you know, I I couldn't bring myself to say, Hi, Paul, I'm John Bartley with Firefall, and blah, blah, blah. And here's about me, because it was friggin' Paul Simon, you know. <laughs> and it was like, you know, and I remember putting it up on Facebook, the picture. You know, people say, well, why didn't you tell him who you were? And I went, my God, that's like trying to, you know, impress Paul McCartney or something. It's like, no, 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 I'm not that big of an egotist. But at the same time, I was so thrilled to meet one of my heroes, Paul Simon, and I told him, you know, I learned how to finger pick because of you.
1: So as far as he knew, you were just some just some guy that plays guitar in your basement? I don't know. I mean, he
2: already had his coat on. It was winter, and he <laughs> was getting in the limbo, and I was the last person in line to shake his hand. And I knew that I didn't want to take too long, and I should have said, you know, I'm I'm John with the band Firefall, and uh, you know, you know, we just love your stuff. I could have said that, but I did. You know, that's okay.
1: From this conversation and that final story, I mean, you are a, a very humble person, and you've said you <laughs> several times. You've said that you're lucky, and you were lucky to be part of the of the music scene in the '70s, and that you appreciate your fans. I mean, I'll tell you, as a fan, we love hearing that, and I know that's not. You know, those weren't just words. It was sincere and genuine coming from you. So as a fan, we thank you for appreciating, uh, to look at it egotistical from your perspective, what you've meant to this music industry. Uh, we appreciate uh, everything you've said in the last hour. Uh, Jock Bartley has been our guest. Well, thank you. From Firefall.
2: Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. And love all you fans out there, and keep rocking, folks.
1: Well, we're gonna we're gonna have you on again. Uh, I guarantee it. We're gonna meet in person at some sort of Yacht Rock Radio Festival again. The new album is Comet. comes out in December, featuring the uh, first release called Way Back When, which is sort of a throwback to the songs from the '60s. Uh, it sounds great. How can our listeners? Uh, I guess download it or get it uh it, you mentioned your son made the video is that going to be on youtube
2: our record label is uh, releasing the song and you can go to firefallofficial.com but it's uh, the, the video and the song are going to be on uh, uh on on youtube and probably amazon and hopefully a lot of places and you know it's a, it's a real upbeat happy song that's uh, our friend John Jorgensen, the guitar player from uh, Bir band and Elton Johns band and one of the best guitar players in the world I asked him to play twelve string on it because it's kind of like uh you know a Jim McGuinn, Roger Mcguinn Birth song and needed twelve string really bad on it so we had John Jorgensen as a guest appearance on that song so thank you for having us um, the album Comet, we're really proud of it had been too many years that we didn't have any new music, and I, as band leader, I figured it was it was high time. So we put to the, together the album over the last couple of years, and we're really proud of it. So thank you, Captain Adam, for, uh, for the support.
1: I appreciate you calling in, Jock. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to uh, meeting you uh, in person someday soon. You
2: got it. Thank you, sir. You're listening
0: to Yacht Rock Radio, the smoothest soft rock from the late 70s and early 80s. For more smooth, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Yacht Rock Radio.